Father, it's important for us to just pause and Lord, we are guilty of busying our lives so much so that we can barely breathe at times to just take a breath. Lord, we're guilty of not making time for you within our busy lives and schedules. Father, we're guilty of uh, an apathetic faith where we just can easily become uncaring towards the commands you've given us and the hope that we know and believe. Father, we're guilty of going after other gods, (laughs) Lord, uh, whether that be the God of our work the God of our money, the God of our things, the God of our relationships. The God of ourself. And so, Lord, this morning, I ask that you would forgive us as we confess these things to you. Lord, help us to understand the depth of your love for us. And Lord, as we come to a place of humble repentance and acknowledgement of our weakness, Lord, we see visibly your strength and just how weak we are in the face of such instances like this storm, in the face of such evil. And yet, Lord, we know and believe that you are in control of it all. And so, Father, we pray for your protection over the people in the face of this storm. Lord, we pray that you would uh, utilize even weather such as this to bring a recognition and realization amongst those who don't know Christ that there is a God. Father, we pray for the impact this is going to have on communities and Lord we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in those areas to be equipped and persevere and have the energy needed to care for the needs that come however big or small those may be Father we pray for the healing of those who have been hurt by violence by things that have taken place and Lord we pray that you would come soon Lord come quickly And Father, as we open up the word today, Lord, I pray that you would equip us not merely to come here again next week and repeat the same cycle, but Lord, rather to grow, to root into the truth of your word and the gospel, the good news that we have a Savior who died for us, who rose again, so that we no longer have to live in the darkness, but we can walk in newness of life. Lord, may we believe that today. May we passionately pursue that today. And Father, I pray that you would remove the roadblocks that may be preventing us from fully stepping out and saying, I'm I'm walking in step with who God has called me to be and help us to see and understand clearly. We pray all of these things 
In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. And um, this is where we're going to start. And ultimately, uh, we're going to end up in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. But I want us to start in Acts chapter 2 because this has been... Uh, throughout this series uh, has been our, our core foundational passage. And I want this to ring true in our minds. When we think of community, when we think of an example or a model to which we should pursue together, I want us to think towards Acts 2. Now a couple of things with that that uh, I want to preface in this is... Uh, we could easily read Acts 2 and respond in a couple different ways. We could respond with a joy and a passion and excitement to see what's possible when our focus is where it should be and when God's Spirit is moving and all this is taking place and we're aware of those things. We can respond in that way. Or we can respond with an intense discouragement and go, man, you see how it was? And man, I don't see this today. And I want to encourage you to read this in light of what can be when we are committed fully to what God has asked us to be committed to. Okay? And what I mean by that is, uh, as we consider all that was taking place here, yes, there's a movement of God's Spirit in the building of His church really for the first time that we see after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. But at the same time, there's none of this here that isn't still plausible for us to see take place today. And in fact, if you talk with some people who travel the world and see different cultures, there's many places where the Spirit is moving much in a similar way as it would have been in Acts chapter 2. And I distinctly remember... Uh, the pastor that I served under previous in Oregon spent a couple of weeks in uh, the country of Cuba shortly after they opened up for travel. And uh, his description of that was uh, so exciting as he talked about these men who would go town to town preaching the gospel and hundreds would come to faith in Christ. And then they would get thrown in prison for stirring up a ruckus and Eventually, they didn't really know what to hold them in prison for, so they'd release them from prison and they'd go to the next town and they would do it all over again. This sound familiar? That wasn't something that he was describing from Scripture. That was real life experience and happenings right in our own world today. And so, when we read these things, I want us to not take a backseat view of this, if you will, where we go, man, if only God worked in the same way that He worked In Acts, how exciting that would be. And I want to encourage you and say, that's possible, okay? It's possible to see those things take place. But when this was taking place, and when these things move and happen, it's often as a result of God's people saying, I am going to fully commit to what God has already asked of me. And that's a much harder thing to do than it is for us to say. And we can fully admit 
that I'm ready and I'm willing to do that. But when we count the cost of what that actually looks like practically, it becomes another story. And so in Acts 2, I'm going to read verses 42 through 47, and we're going to focus, uh, this is our last message in this series of talks. And so I want to focus specifically on authentic community that is devoted to growth. And we're going to unpack that some more here. Verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we pray once again that you would open our eyes to understand the depth of your truth and equip us to live it out day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you a visual to start off as we think about this idea of growth. And how many, curious, how many people here are gardeners? How many of you, how many of you like, okay, several of you, okay. Now, one of the, the interesting aspects of growth or gardening or really just plant development in general is the cycle that they go through time after time after time. So I'm going to give you a visual and you might be able to make out a little bit of it. This is specifically flowering plants cycle of life. Okay, and so many of us recognize that you start over here in the middle right side and there's there's seeds that are planted and seeds when they're planted in the soil, they germinate. So there's germination that takes place. And then after they germinate, growth happens and then pollination happens. And then what happens after that? It, it kind of repeats a cycle, doesn't it? In fact, there's seed formations on these flowering plants, and then as that plant kind of dies off, it, the seeds spread, and there's the potential there that what was one flower now plants several, right? Isn't that incredible? When you really stop and think about it, all you do is put a seed in the ground, you might put some water on it, and th this happens? It's a miraculous thing, really. Now, the reason I bring this up is because as we think about the process of growth or desired growth in the life of a follower of Christ, it really should resemble kind of the same thing. And I got to thinking about this. What if all of our plants only grew in size and never grew in substance? What would that look like? What if the process of growth looked like one line instead of multiple phases? We would think that, well, this is kind of ridiculous and I don't uh, really understand why I would want that in my garden because there would be really no production, no fruit of my labor. And as I got to thinking about that more, I was like, it kind of sounds like a weed. It just, there's just one line of growth and they somehow multiply and it doesn't matter what you do, okay? You can, sometimes you can pull those weeds and you can throw them somewhere, not do anything to them and there's more weeds that grow, okay? It's so obnoxious. 
And oftentimes they get out of control really fast. Yet we often measure, get this, we often measure the health of an organization by its measurable numerical growth as, a pro, as opposed to its process of transformation. We often measure the success of an organization or anything given based on its numerical single line of growth pattern rather than its process of transformation. We look at a flower like this and we go, wow, what's the most impressive part? It's how it moves from one phase to the next, to the next, to the next. It brings about a beauty and something that's attractive, something that we desire, that we like to look at. That maybe we like to bless other people with, okay? So why is that? Now in Acts chapter 2, we really see two types of growth. And you can see these in several places in Scripture as well. But there's really two types of growth that we see. The first one being numerical growth. Everyone say numerical. Okay? And we see that specifically in verse 47 at the end of this section we've been going through where it says, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord, what did he do? He added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now we read that and we go, whoa, this is, this is amazing. Here, these people are gathered together and more and more people are getting saved. And the number of them is increasing and increasing and increasing and it's growing. There's other places in Scripture where you see the same thing happen. One of those examples is in Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to put it up here so you can see it. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, so the church, this is, this is during the, the conversion of Paul, okay? Really the conversion of Saul to Paul. And so if you want to read the whole story of what's really taking place here, read all of Acts chapter 9. And it's the testimony of this guy named Saul who was persecuting Christians... And God meets him on a road to Damascus and transforms his life. And now all of a sudden he shifts to being this guy who is sold out for Jesus. And people are really questioning, wait, isn't this the same dude who was killing the Christians last week? Can we really trust him? And so in the midst of that, it, it talks about, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, what is that word? Multiply. Everyone say multiplied. Okay? So numerical growth, there's a shift happening here. But that is not the only type of growth referenced in Scripture. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not the only type of growth. Okay? Just so we're all on the same page. But the second type of growth we see is a spiritual growth. It's a spiritual growth. Everyone say spiritual. And understand that if we look at verse 41 in chapter 2, just before where we started. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, don't miss, oftentimes we skip past the first part of that verse and we just see the 3,000 souls and we go, woo, this is cool. But don't miss the fact that it was because of the preaching of his word and an understanding of his word and a deepening 
of that understanding that people then came to faith in Christ. Now, to look in a couple, I want to I want to take us through several other, actually four other passages, and um, I'm going to actually have any of you who want to read these read them because I love when we read scripture together. So they're going to be up here. Hey, so Colossians one nine through ten, and I'm going to grab this microphone. I need someone to look up Colossians 1, 9 and 10, and then some other people, you can look up these others, okay? So, who would like to read this first one? Someone read? Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Thank you. So you heard that, praying for wisdom and knowledge, growing in the will of God. There's a desire there of these guys who are really shepherding these people to say, man, we are praying that you move beyond where you are. Okay? We want you to grow. We want you to grow. And he's not saying we want you to grow numerically. Okay, He's saying I want you guys to grow in your understanding and knowledge of what Jesus did and what that means for you. Okay? So next one, Hebrews 5. Who wants to do Hebrews 5? Okay. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid foods. For someone you li- who lives in on milk is still an infant and does not know what to do what is right solid food is for those who are mature who through training have the skills to recognize and difference between right and wrong okay i love this passage because frankly the writer of hebrews just lays it out how many of you like really like steak dinners oh see oh man (laughs) hey pastor matt it's 11 16 now i'm hungry most of us do, okay? And how many of you, if I came to you, and some of you have experienced this for medical reasons or one another, if I came to you and said, okay, you're not allowed to eat any more solid food, you are on a permanent liquid diet, would go, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. Okay? Some, some of you might. But the reality is, and what this passage in Hebrews is identifying is, You should be teaching other people at this point. He's speaking to other believers who have been followers of Christ so long. He's saying, hey, come on. You guys still have to have someone feed you. You You're not even feeding yourself. And his desire is clear that his desire is that you would grow past that point, that you would mature past that point where you would need milk. And you could eat solid food. And so the emphasis there is really clear that, hey, I I don't want you to stay where you're at. 
And let me just tell you, I desire and crave that each one of you would be able to eat a steak dinner every single day when it comes to your spiritual growth. And the cool thing is, every one of us has the opportunity to do that because we are so blessed with access to the Word of God. And we take that for granted, church. Because we're so free and we might have multiple Bibles in our homes, we take that for granted. And so we really don't value it. Whereas other places, they might have one in a whole town, and so people just flock to it. They're hungry. So the desire is that they would grow, that, that we would grow. Okay, Ephesians 4. Who wants to do Ephesians 4, 15 and 16? Instead, instead speaking the truth of love in love, we will grow to become in every respect the natural body of him who is the head that is Christ. Good job. Now, what I love about this passage is it simply says... So speaking the truth in love, we are to, what did he say? Grow up. Everyone say grow up. Okay. Grow up in every way. To him who is the head, which is Christ. Okay. So once again, not to stay where we are. We need to grow up. We grow deeper in our spiritual walk and understanding. Okay. Last one. Psalm 92. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a setter of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Right. Amen. So, in the midst of that, I love this passage because of the imagery of the trees of Lebanon that I will grow and flourish like these. And not just that, but that so much so that I, I'm going to continue to bear fruit in old age. Man, may that be the prayer of our hearts, church. That there's not a time in our lives until we stand before our God, our Creator, that we say, okay, I, I have bared enough fruit, I am just a twig in the ground. May we not get to that point. And the reality is, if you have breath in your lungs, you have potential influence in your life. Okay? If, if you have breath in your lungs, if you are sitting here today you have the potential to influence people for Christ. And yet many of us, just like the passage in Hebrews said, we get kind of stuck where we were. And we stop really trying to grow. Now I want to give you two facts about growth as we think about this. And then we're going to shift to Second Peter and spend the remainder of our time there. 
But two facts about growth I want us to consider. The first one is this. Numerical growth does not automatically equal spiritual growth. Okay? Numerical growth does not automatically equal spiritual growth. I want you to consider all the people that showed up to hear Jesus teach or perform miracles. Consider that. You read throughout Scripture and you see stories of the crowds that followed. So much so Jesus would have to rise up really early in the morning and go out in order to get time by himself. And yet how many of those people... When Jesus was on trial, and when Jesus was crucified, and when, even after he rose again, how many of those people said, man, what Jesus taught was so true, I'm going to live in light of those truths? Now, we don't know the answer to that question, but what we do know is that the crowd described at Jesus' trial yelled, crucify him. And it is very likely for us to assume that these people would have known who Jesus was and probably heard his teachings. And so I want us to grasp in that numerical growth does not automatically equal spiritual growth. How many other institutions can we look around and see in the world and find many, many people and no spiritual movement? That includes churches. Just because there's a lot of people gathered in one place does not mean that we're growing spiritually and moving in the right direction. It's not the measurable thing we can look at. The second truth about growth is this. This one's probably harder for us to, to grasp. Spiritual growth does not always result in numerical growth. Spiritual growth does not always, everyone say always, result in numerical growth. And listen, I want to clarify that. There is no promise that if we grow up into Christ that more people will come. But here's my main idea for today that I want us to grasp. And that is that authentic community that increases in spiritual growth will increase in impact. Authentic community that increases in spiritual growth will increase in impact. Okay, now to emphasize that more, I want to go to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter. So turn to uh, turn to the right in your Bibles. And you're going to go past the Corinthians, the Timothys. You're going to go past Hebrews and James and then first Peter and then second Peter. And Peter here is writing to uh, fellow followers of Christ. And I'm going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 11 this morning. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things, everyone say all things, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now I want to pause there for a minute and explain a couple of things. The first one is understanding that it is through His divine power that we are granted all things, not all things, period, but all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is really important because there are many people who preach a gospel that says, if you follow Jesus, you will be given all things, period. That is not true. But rather, through his divine power, we're promised all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And the exciting promise that comes after that in verse 4 says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, this is emphasized readily in a passage, uh, Romans 8, which talks about that through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we're sealed, adopted as sons into God's family. In other words, this reemphasizes the reality that for those in Christ, there is the promise of reigning with Christ as co-heirs in the kingdom of God. This does not mean that somehow in the midst of this, you become God. When it says, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And our pursuit should make us to be more like Jesus, but in the sense recognizing that we are nothing without his power, that it is only through him that we are sealed and promised eternity. Okay? Now read on in verse 5. This is where the challenge comes for us. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, sit on that for a minute, church. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to put up here the qualities that are listed there so you could see all of these. Okay, supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge, self-control. Okay, you've got this list in your Bible of qualities that you are to supplement your faith with now. The question is, what does that look like? Everyone say, what does that look like? And I want to put an image up here for you that portrays this, okay? Now, you might 
not be able to read these super well, but this is just that same list you saw. At the foundation of what we believe, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Everyone say faith. It is at the foundation, the core of everything else we believe, that we have faith that Jesus is the only way. That I am incapable of saving myself. And so my salvation, me being able to walk in newness of life is dependent on me having faith in a God who's bigger than anything I'm going to face. And so at the core we have faith. And then when in Second Peter, when he says supplement your faith with these qualities, he is not saying that somehow these things replace or define your faith. Rather, they are building blocks that are built upon a foundation that already exists. Why does that need to happen? The reality is, church, that every one of us is going to face attack upon our character, attack upon our faith, attack upon how we live our lives. And I don't know about you, but I desire that when I face those attacks, those attacks have to break through every one of those blocks before it hinders my faith. You start to see the picture of that. You supplement your faith with these things. And then the emphasis there, when you go into verse 8, is if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that is those blocks keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I don't want that to be us. Authentic community that increases in spiritual growth will increase in impact. The community in Acts chapter 2 was so committed to what they had heard in the message Peter had preached right before that, that they said, We're, we want to give our lives. And so then everything that followed in that was a result of them saying, we want to grow, we want to gather together, we want to invest in each other, we want to do this, this journey alongside one another. And as a result of their commitment to the things of God, God added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, does that mean that in one location, all of a sudden, they were, they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger? No, not necessarily. Okay, they might have visibly seen that, but that wasn't their goal. The goal in that was, this gospel is worth living for. This good news is worth me giving everything to. And the more I root into that, the more I grow in that, the more my impact with the people around me is going to increase. How great would it be, church, if five or ten years down the road, we saw in our community or even all over the country, all over the world, the growth of the seeds that were replanted right from here. That doesn't mean that those seeds are going to be growing up right in these pews, but praise God all the more for any life that's saved. Amen? And I want us to grasp the depth of this. 
Because so easily, church, my burden is that we would get so distracted by numbers numerically that we would lose sight of the depth and the growth that can happen when we simply fix our eyes on who God has called us to be. So how do we do that well in application? And I love passages like this because the application is so clear in the text. It's in verse 10, and it simply says this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Wow! I said that out loud in my office this week when I read that. I really did. And I wrote it and circled it and wrote, wow, underneath. You will never... How many of you would like the promise that you're not going to fall again? How many, every one of us like that, okay? And the reality is we recognize that we're going to fall short and we're going to fall and we're going to stumble. And yet, the promise of this is the more we root into these things, which are supplements to our faith that already exists, if we believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, the more power we're going to have to overcome the things which tempt us to fall day after day, time after time, moment after moment. And so, how do we confirm our faith, our calling, our election? How do we assure, not that we're saved, okay? He's talking to believers, so he's not questioning and saying you need to be sure that you're saved. Though if you're here today and you're unsure of that, please come talk to me. I don't want anyone to leave here unsure of whether or not they're saved, okay? And we're saved by faith, through, by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not anything we can do. But understand that what this is speaking of is the more you do these things, the more confident, the more rooted your life becomes in that faith. And the less we do these things, the more the reality has to sink in and go, am I really all in? Have I really committed to living in a way that God has called me to or not? Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness or perseverance, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. May we be a community of people, church, who increases in spiritual growth in a way that our impact increases. That we don't remain stuck where we are, that we don't allow ourselves to become complacent or apathetic, nearsighted, forgetting that we are cleansed by the sacrifice of Jesus. May we not be ineffective. May we not be unfruitful. And may God be glorified in our midst from this day forward. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to pray together as we commit to seeing these things come to reality in our lives. Heavenly Father, we understand the depth of this in a way that for those of us who are followers of Christ, Lord, we have a desperate need to root into these truths. And Lord, I'm, I'm burdened for our community, that they would see 
not some organization that is focused on themselves, but that they would see the body of Christ with Christ at the forefront and us pursuing that in the way we live, in the way we serve, in the way we love, in the way we speak with people. Father, may we be challenged in a way this morning that makes us evaluate and consider whether or not we have made you worthy of everything in our lives or just a portion of it. And Lord, may we live in such a way that you are glorified above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.